The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6 and reading from verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. For when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, Your Father will not forgive your sin. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Thanks, John. Well, I'll never forget the first time that I preached. I was at Trinity Church Brighton. I'd just begun as a ministry trainee. And in the week leading up to it, we'd been away on a kind of a a mini conference with our staff from our network. And our main teacher that week had been Colin Marshall. Now, most of you have heard of Colin, but he literally wrote the book on growth groups. It's called Growth Groups by Colin Marshall. And he wrote this 
co-wrote Trellis and the Vine, which has done uh, really well internationally as well. So, you know, a bit of a big cheese in the evangelical world, highly respected, wise, and godly man, and a nice bloke. Anyway, I'm trying to settle my nerves at the start of church. People are starting to come in. John's calming me down. And who should saunter in to listen to my first sermon? Colin Marshall. He decided to go on holiday just down the, down the road. Now, I was twice as nervous. What's Colin Marshall going to think? And what about this morning? Sue Harrison's here, my boss's wife. What's she going to think? I bet she'll write a report and give it to Paul, my boss. Now, it is good for preachers to have a good think about who we're trying to communicate with, who, who I am preaching to. That's appropriate. But who am I preaching for, ultimately? I mean, most of us won't preach, but whatever we do in our Christian life, who are we doing it for? Who do we want to take notice of it? That's the question this morning. As it turns out, Colin Marshall was very gracious and encouraging. But, you know, the world's best preacher could be here today, you know, with his critique form, marks out of ten on his lap. And it's not what he thinks that I should primarily be worried about. Because you should have seen who was here last week. And you should have seen who was here the week before that. Paying careful attention to everything that was going on. God was here. And in the end, everything we do here, all the ways we put into practice our trust and faith in Jesus, are for his sake, for him to see. In chapter 5, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, seeing how righteousness, being in relationship with God, having his approval, righteousness is not about a surface level, external keeping of the rules. It's about being humble of heart, dependent on Jesus, and from that starting point of knowing under our own steam we've got nothing to offer but a sorry record of sin, from there growing in righteousness from a grateful heart that transforms our mind and our actions with God's help, and inside-out righteousness. Now, Jesus warns us to be careful about how we carry out the righteous acts that flow from that righteous heart. So here's our outline. Choose your audience carefully. That's where we'll spend most of our time. And then secrecy helps. God sees rewards. Choose your audience carefully. Secrecy helps. God sees rewards. So first, choose your audience carefully. To avoid being a hypocrite, be careful about who your intended audience is. So verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So all that we do should be with our eyes on God and not on other people. So the problem is not doing righteous stuff. Um, Remember in chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The problem is doing righteous acts, hoping that other people will notice, rather than simply for God's sake. And Jesus, we we just heard, uses three examples to make his point. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Uh, Jesus 
seems to assume that his disciples will be doing these three, three things. But I don't think it's supposed to be an exhaustive list of all the righteous acts we can be doing that we need to be careful about. We can do service leading or morning tea or providing a meal to somebody in order to be seen by others, can't we? So why does Jesus focus on these three? Well, I think they're all things that flow from having a relationship with God. So giving to the needy, um, when we're aware of how generous and compassionate God is to, with us, how can we be anything else to those in need? And we could spend hours looking in the Old Testament at God's heart for the poor and defenseless and his anger when they're not cared for. Um, you know, when we read about blind Bartimaeus in the Gospels, begging by the side of the road, it's easy to take that for granted, but under the law, there's no way in the world he should have had to have been begging. He should have been well cared for. Prayer as a natural outflow of our relationship, that's more obvious for us. You know, if you're in a relationship with someone, you speak to them. You know, try not talking to people at home for the next 24 hours and see how that goes. Won't go well. Um, we verbalize our trust is in God by depending on him in prayer, bringing him our requests because we want him, him to hear us. And fasting, fasting is going without food in order, well, it's done for a number of reasons in the Bible, to humble yourself, to show your dependence on God, to help you mourn, um, as a self-discipline thing, to help you fix your mind on God. So all these things are done well when they're an outworking of our relationship with God. All of them are done hypocritically when they're done in front of others to be seen by them. That word there for to be seen, the verb theamai, that's where we get our word for theater. And Jesus is saying, be careful not to perform your righteous acts in order to steal the show and to get rave reviews for yourself. Uh, for each of these righteous acts, Jesus tells us how not to be like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who he calls hypocrites, literally actors. People who pretend they believe or think one thing, but in reality, it's all an act. A mask that they're wearing. So let's go through them one at a time. For giving to the needy, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. About prayer, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. And about fasting, when you fast, do not be, look somber like the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. So in each case, their acts of righteousness are kind of big and bold and on the surface look really spiritual. But in each case, where is the focus of attention? It's on themselves. It's done for them to be honored, not God. All show no heart. Their actions are betraying a love for themselves, not a love for God. Now, I don't suppose that anyone here has gone full Pharisee and you're going to go about broadcasting about how generous you are. You pray very publicly, make sure everyone knows what a martyr you are fasting. 
But it is so easy to try and steal the limelight, isn't it? In subtle ways. So with giving, look, it's a mature Christian thing to have open and frank conversations about our financial partnership here at church and giving to the needy. Christians should be giving. It's okay to talk about that. But it's easy to do that in a way which hints that I'm not the problem. If if only everybody else was as generous as me, we wouldn't be having to have this conversation. And what about prayer? When it comes to praying out loud in front of other people, people pray in lots of different ways, don't they? So let's imagine we're praying for Bob. I remember the bishop at my confirmation when I was um, a teenager prayed something like this. Almighty potentate of power, we do humbly beseech thee to shine thine countenance upon thy servant, Bob. In the 80s, uh, conferences I went to, it seemed to be kind of, Lord, we really just want to. That was the phrase in prayers all the time. Lord, we really just want to just, yeah, really pray for Bob. Yeah, really just want to. And I was in a prayer meeting once, nothing to do with this church or this network. And the prayers went something like this. Jesus, we pray your name over Bob. We speak to Bob's affliction and tell you affliction to bow down before Jesus. We declare victory for Bob in the name of Jesus. Now, that wasn't what I'm used to. And I had lots of theological alarm bells going off. So I prayed what I considered to be a solidly biblical prayer, you know, a stamp of approval from the Trinity Network, the kind of prayer the Apostle Paul would be proud of. As a good example to these people to rein in the odd-sounding stuff. But who was the Pharisee in that room? Me. I was the hypocrite. Because the others, I reckon, were praying. However, whatever problems I had with their prayers, the others, I reckon, were praying from their hearts to God. My prayers were primarily for others to see. However faulty I thought they were, they weren't play-acting, and I was. I mean, it's not like just anything goes in prayer. Jesus does say, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So our prayers should be informed by who it is we're praying to. We, don't need, we do need to use words because God is relational. We don't need to use loads of words because God knows what we need already better than we do. Um, I'll, I won't say more about prayer just now. Next week, we've got John Warner coming uh, from BCA. And John's going to preach specifically on verses 9 to 15 on the Lord's Prayer. So you're not missing out. So that's prayer. Fasting. Now, I don't know that any of you here fast, and maybe that's because you've, all, all, you've read this already and you're all appropriately secretive about it. But I know for me, I know that I have at times been at pains to make sure that everybody knows just how much I've been serving and how tiring it all was. Easy thing to slip into. Um, I heard a great diagnostic tool from another pastor. A great way to know who you're serving for, if you're serving for yourself rather than for God, is if you get all huffy when nobody notices you're serving. Who are you doing it for? Or if you want to give up on our church because you're not asked to serve 
where you want to. Who are you doing it for? For God or for yourself? I've always had a bit of a dilemma with serving about saying thank you to you for your serving at church because I am genuinely grateful for how hard you all work in service of one another. And I'm British, so I'm culturally predisposed to being overly polite. So I want to say thank you. But really, why should I thank you? Because you're not doing it for me or anyone else here, not ultimately. We are called to serve one another, but ultimately, we're doing it for God. And my concern is that if I thank you for it, it encourages practicing our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So it's probably better that instead of thanking you, I thank God for you, for your service. But I know me, and I will slip back in saying thank you all the time. Please just consider that under the category of encouraging one another, of spurring one another on. So giving, fasting, praying, serving, Bible studying, do them with your eyes fixed on God, not other people. Ensure that their acts flowing from your love of Jesus, not love for being thought well of. Now, thankfully, Jesus gives us some help for our actions and thoughts. Uh, firstly, he says, secrecy helps. Excuse me. <coughs> secrecy helps. So forgiving, in the case of giving, verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Uh, This is part of the reason we don't pass a plate around, a collection plate or bag here. Um, Because whilst that models generous giving as the norm, and that's a good thing, it also models doing that publicly. It's easy, the way we have things set up, it's easy for us to give anonymously, electronically. And the way that works means I've got absolutely no idea what any of you give. Um, And only one person in the whole network, our business manager, knows who gives what electronically. I just know the total cash and the number of households that give. But Jesus says, not only keep it secret from others, but keep it secret from yourself. How can you do that? Well, I think this is the idea of not giving undue attention to your previous generosity when it comes to your generosity now. So not leaving yourself a bunch of get-out clauses that mean you let yourself off the hook from helping the needy now. So we need to steward our resources well, yes, and be responsible and not be silly. But we also need to work on our, having a reflex of generosity so that it becomes like a second nature, muscle memory, you know, the kind of thing that you barely remember carrying out. That's giving. How about prayer? Verse, keeping secret prayer. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, it's not that Jesus is against public prayer at all. He prayed publicly himself. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father. So presumably there's more than one of you there. (coughs) 
And there is a place for being led in prayer, like Rich is going to do after this sermon. Um, and in that case, paying careful attention to language, do, aiming to do that really well, is a good thing because the aim, the ultimate aim, is to lead us collectively in fixing our eyes on God and praying, bringing him our requests. So our public prayer is good because our prayer leader is pointing our attention to God. Where it could go wrong is if our prayer leaders become motivated by thinking, won't everyone think I'm, my prayers are marvelous? If I just put in the right verse here, everyone will think, yeah, that's a winner. So don't get hung up on the secrecy, but do let that principle of secrecy defend us from horizontal praying. Unless you're helping others to talk to God, pray like no one else is there. Secrecy and fasting. But when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Have a wash and a brush up so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. So be pleased if no one knows you're fasting. Thank God if no one gives you any credit for all the serving you're doing behind the scenes. And not only don't try to get noticed, actively try not to get noticed. I think these three examples, Jesus shows us how secrecy pulls the rug up from under our prideful play-acting. You know, just remove the audience and the actor in his makeup and finery feels a bit of a wally putting on a performance, doesn't he? So secrecy in action and in our minds and hearts knowing that God sees. Our third section, God sees. Knowing who you're relating to makes a big difference to how you relate to them though, doesn't it? I saw this story in the news a couple of um, years ago. It's a slide, Robert, a picture. Women's, this is the story. Women's Institute members wore joke-eye patches, wigs, and wooden legs to greet an old sea dog giving a talk on pirates. They thought Colin Darsh, 75, would regale them with tales of buccaneers such as Blackbeard and Captain Kidd. But they got a sinking feeling when they realized the retired sea captain was there to tell of his 47-day ordeal at the hand of brutal Somali pirates. A member of the Women's Institute said, I thought he was from a local fundraising group who dress up as pirates to raise money for charity. Naturally, everyone was aghast when we realized our mistake. There he was, delivering this harrowing story about how he was held hostage and feared for his life. And we were all sitting there dressed as Captain Hook. We apologized profusely. It was a great sport, and a few of the ladies bought copies of his book afterwards. So it's a classic case of relating in the wrong way because you've got who you're relating to wrong. If we're relating our acts of righteousness to other people primarily, or to ourselves, then they'll go wrong. All we need to remember is that God sees our acts of righteousness. Verse 4, your father who sees what is done in secret. Verse 6, your father who sees what is done in secret. Verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 18, your father 
who sees what is done in secret. God sees what you do for him. Don't worry about anyone else looking on. Because when we do, it twists and distorts our acts of righteousness into acts of unrighteousness. I mean, it drives me crazy. I don't know if you've been to an event or, you know, a, a concert or a landmark somewhere, and everyone's so busy taking photos on the phone, we actually miss being present and experiencing it firsthand for themselves. And similarly, we miss the point of our righteous acts if we forget that God sees. Just as God sees our murderous and adulterous thoughts, he sees our secret acts of righteousness. So let that be what determines how we do our acts of righteousness. Just a side note very quickly, you might be thinking, back in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine. Let everyone know that you're my disciples by how you live. Is Jesus contradicting things here? The reality is people are looking on in our lives, and the difference is where you're shining your light. Are you shining it on yourself or on God? Uh, one commentator sums it up well like this. We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. That's a helpful way to remember it. Show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Okay. Rewards. Finally, Jesus, he talks a lot in this passage about rewards, doesn't he? Here's our final. We'll finish with this. What rewards are there for the hypocrites? Verse 2. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Verse 5. They've received their reward in full. Verse 16. They've received their reward in full. When we reject God and his ways, it's not like we then just live in a vacuum. No, we replace God's idea of what is good with our own. We establish our own system of rights and wrongs and sort of carrots and sticks to enforce that. We do that individually in our hearts and we do it collectively as a society. But in that system, without God the biggest reward we can get becomes our own self-approval and the approval of others. Success becomes just getting to the line we drew for ourselves. If you strive for the approval of those around you, Jesus says, sure, you'll be rewarded with their approval. But that's all the reward you'll get. And it's deeply unsatisfying. But verses 4 and 6 and 18, God will reward our righteous acts he sees done in secret. But what is this reward? Well, let's have a look at verse 1 again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So in that verse, is it the Father or the reward that's in heaven? It's the Father. So then, where it says, uh, if you do, you will have no reward, we could take the will out. It's actually in the present tense in the original language. If you do, 
you have no reward. So the reward is for now. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, the, the blessings that come, the rewards, flow out of having a relationship with God. Remember, it began with a list of promises. Blessed are, approved by God are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, and so on. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken on himself the fallout from our rejecting God's goodness. Jesus has met God's standards for us and gifts us by grace his reward, the approval of God our Heavenly Father. True, satisfying, eternal reward, starting now, the joy of relationship with God. God himself is our reward. So let me ask you then, who are you trying to get things right for? For yourself? For other people? Well, you might win. You might get it all right for you and all right for them. But that's all you'll get. Or are you trying to get things right for God? God who sees what he's done in secret will reward you with knowing him now by faith and gloriously face to face in eternity. I'm just going to finish with a poem by Adrian Plass, um, which uh, whenever I read this, it just really captures that idea of putting on a show for people. Uh, I'll read that and then I'll pray. Sunday is a funny day. It starts with lots of noise. Mummy rushes round with socks and Daddy shouts, You boys! Then Mummy says, Now don't blame them. You know you're just as bad. You've only just got out of bed. It really makes me mad. My Mummy is a Christian. My Daddy is as well. My Mummy says, Oh heavens! My Daddy says, Oh hell! And when we get to church at last... It's really very strange, because mum and dad stop arguing, and suddenly they change. At, mom, my, at church, my mum and dad are friends. They get them very well, but no one knows they've had a row, and I'm not going to tell. People often come to them because they seem so nice, and mum and dad are very pleased to give them some advice. They tell them Christian freedom is worth an awful lot, but I don't know what freedom means if freedom's what they've got. Daddy loves the meetings. He's always at them all. He's learning how to understand the letters of St. Paul. But mummy says, I'm stuck at home to lead my Christian life. It's just as well for blinking Paul. He didn't have a wife. I once heard my mummy say she'd walk out of his life. I once heard daddy say to her he'd picked a rotten wife. They really love each other. I really think they do. I think the people in church would help them if they knew. Let's pray. Lord, please help us not to be hypocrites. Please help us know that you see all that we do and do them for you. Uh, We long to serve you and glorify you and make you known. And we just love you to clean up 
our motives for that. Please help us not to put on a show. Please help us to be people that can be real with one another and help each other to genuinely grow and show we genuinely encourage one another. Amen. Uh, Richard's going to continue.